0: not only killed and dismembered his victims, but also served them as burgers to unsuspecting customers. Meet Joe Metheny, the notorious human burger killer who terrorized a community and left a trail of gruesome evidence. Brace yourself for a chilling account of one of the most heinous crimes in modern history and discover the disturbing psyche of a man who crossed all boundaries of humanity. hello everybody welcome back to another brand new episode of the casual criminalist as always hello there i'm your host simon i'm one of my writers matthew thank you matthew Rid written me a script i've not read this before somehow despite doing a true crime podcast for ages like being in this world thinking about all of this stuff i have somehow never even heard, like often i'll be like oh, i've heard of that i've heard of that i've heard of that like vaguely aware i have no idea about this dude who apparently made burgers out of people which is just like bro <laughs> serial killer cannibal real life Hannibal Lecter. How have I missed this one? Anyway, let's just jump in. The format of the show, if you're uh, new here, I've never read this before, I'm going to read it. And uh, yeah, let's do- Oh, also Jen, wonderful video editor, edits it afterwards. Uh, also audio, of course, depending on how you consume this as a podcast on YouTube, whatever. Let's just jump in. On a warm summer's night in 1994, a tired and weary, Joseph Metheny returned home to find his entire life in shambles. Joe was a truck driver for Joe Stein and Sons Pallet Company in Baltimore, Maryland, so he was used to being away from home for long stretches of time. But on this particular night, he had been working especially late. When he stepped through the door, he saw that his longtime girlfriend had left him and she'd taken everything but the light bulbs (laughs) i once moved into an apartment and it did have light bulbs (laughs) and i was like really you couldn't you couldn't have just rick i know like led light bulbs are more this was a nice apartment like led light bulbs i get they're expensive but did some light bulbs come on This may not sound like a tragedy, considering Joe would later admit that he couldn't have cared less about his worthless girlfriends or the furniture for that matter. However, there was something else missing, besides the boxy television set, rusted kitchen appliances, and countless piles of dirty, unsorted laundry. It was his six-year-old son, the son that Joe had been working so hard to provide for. Joe's blood began to boil, his eyes bulged, and he twitched with anger. Normally, despite his outward appearance, Joe was a well tempered and polite man. Standing at six foot one and weighing over 350 pounds, Joe was a paradox. On the outside, he was a large, bald man with crooked teeth, covered in tattoos, but according to those that knew him, he was kind, mannerly, considerate. He was intelligent enough to study physics while training for service in the US Army. However, he also spent most of his life living in homeless camps and addicted to hard drugs. Yeah, well, there's the explanation, isn't there, hard drugs? don't do drugs don't get addicted do drugs drugs are fine just don't do like i don't know kind of just like defending the softest of drugs here like i don't think anyone people still are but like no one's gonna like have their life ruined by smoking a little bit of pot um but yeah hard drugs and getting addicted to them it's not a good time it does ruin lives this guy studied physics and he ended up homeless All of that is to say, like so many people, Joe Metheny was a complicated man. But on this summer night, his lifetime of drug use combined with a feeling of betrayal caused Joe to snap. He wanted to know where his girlfriend had taken their son, and he was going to do everything in his power to find them. He knew that she was addicted to crack cocaine, a habit that he himself had been working hard to kick, and that she would most likely be staying with someone who could provide it to her after this night joe metheny embarked on a murder spree that left as many as 13 people dead as he stalked the homeless camps of south baltimore city for over two years this is the story of joe metheny the barbecue burger butcher a life of struggle now before we talk about joe metheny's past and his upcoming crime spree there is something that you need to know joe metheny is an unreliable narrator and unfortunately most of the details available online about his crimes are self-reported while talking about his life joe often contradicted himself sometimes even in the same sentence some of the things he said were probably false while others were at one time assumed to be false but later proven to be true so going forward you might be tempted to think that joe metheny is a liar or exaggerating his crimes as some serial killers do but i don't think so I think that most of his confusion comes down to one simple thing drugs okay so he might not be lying or exaggerating but the drugs could lead him to do that inadvertently like to exaggerate or just be confused about it or not remember or remember some things more vividly for almost the entirety of his adult life joe was wasted on either alcohol heroin crack cocaine or a combination of all three geez this guy was driving a truck around oh my god (laughs) like crack cocaine that just is like a well, no, it's methamphetamine. Meth's the one that really, like, makes you go, right? just? I don't even know what crack cocaine does to you. It's not quite like cocaine, is it? Isn't it like intense cocaine that you smoke? So I don't know if I'd feel like that's probably okay for driving a truck, but like heroin? <laughs> Alcohol? No. Not that I'm saying I want truck drivers to be on crack cocaine, I'd rather they weren't. During his crime spree in particular, Joe admits that he was spending every single penny he earned on his vices, and that his memories of the murders are hazy at best. To give further credit to his claims, Joe's own attorney, Margaret Mead, who was appointed to represent him at trial, once said, I have no reason not to believe him. I have always found him to be forthright and honest. I think he's telling the truth. So in my opinion joe metheny was not a liar he was just incapable of remembering the exact details look i know that we're getting ahead of ourselves here but i wanted to set the expectation as we move forward because the timeline is somewhat complicated therefore going forward i will be presenting you with what i believe to be the proper order of events however where there is doubt or contradictory evidence i will interject to tell you the other side of the story and with that out of the way let's start with our first point of contention joe's childhood Joe Metheny was born in 1955 to Jean Metheny and a father whose name is difficult to track down one thing we do know is that Joe's father was a severe alcoholic and he was killed in a drunk driving accident when Joe was only six years old after this his mother was given the impossible task of raising Joe and his five siblings alone while also working double shifts as a waitress to keep the family finances from going under I cannot even imagine my wife and I have two kids she doesn't work and it's still like We have help, not like full time, but we have like a babysitter and it's still like, (laughs) it's still hard. Five kids working double shifts. I don't work double shifts. I work regular person hours and I'm not the main like caregiver. It's crazy. I cannot imagine it. And I know people listening are like, yeah, I know someone like this. Maybe you are this person. Good Lord. Good for you. I mean, I cannot even imagine. Joe claims that he was neglected as a child and that his mother sent her children away to live in in foster homes all across Northern Virginia and Maryland. This is the first disputed point, as Jean Metheny's recounting of her son's childhood paints a very different picture. She says that, other than occasional financial troubles, her children did not have a single problem in the world. They were poor, but they always had food to eat and a solid roof over their heads. I is probably somewhere in the middle, isn't it? like sending them away there must be some record of that but to not have any troubles in the world when it's a single mother working double shifts to raise five children is like i'm pretty sure my kids have troubles in the world and they have the the opposite of this In my opinion both accounts can be true at the same time if you consider them from different perspectives joe's mother was a working woman who always put bread on the table and made sure that her children were not forced onto the street however working that many hours to provide for them also meant that she was never home to raise and nurture her children the way that a parent should so it is very possible that joe felt neglected while his mother did not see it that way it's absurd that that's a statement like the children to for not force the children out onto the street i know this was like the 1960s or whatever but it's still america america has been rich for a very long time It, it shouldn't be happening in rich countries guys children should not be on the streets in rich countries it's just a bit i don't know it's not right is it she also claims that joe was kind and polite child who never got into trouble he was above average student had normal childhood hobbies and avoid getting into fights whenever possible joe says that his childhood was far more adventurous than the one his mother describes i'm spilling papers everywhere i forgot my i forgot my ipad at home today so i printed this out and i just thought i'd read off a paper like i used to do before i just had giant stacks of paper from all the scripts i printed out and it just felt bad for the environment so i just started using an ipad but we went back to it today it's a throwback episode when joe turned 18 he left home to join the army this much is true and verifiable but the exact details of his deployment are also disputed his mother said that he was stationed in germany however joe told multiple people that he was actually stationed in vietnam He claims that his drug dependency started with heroin while living and fighting in the Vietnam jungle. As I said, there's no questioning the fact that he was in the army because official records prove that he was, but it's unlikely that he was stationed anywhere near Vietnam because, as many people online have pointed out, the U.S. had already pulled out of the war by the time Joe entered the military and troops were no longer being stationed there. Either way, after leaving the army, Joe did not return home. Instead, he spent the next decade and a half drifting around, never really establishing himself anywhere and choosing to live among the homeless population in various cities across the eastern seaboard. This is where his drug dependencies really started to take hold he was already a heavy drinker but soon he found himself needing more he turned back to heroin and eventually crack cocaine he attempted to maintain steady employment however that is almost impossible when you spend 10 hours each day passed out in a gutter and the other 14 desperately trying to score your next hit yeah drugs destroy lives and i mean i don't know what the stats are but there must be so much drug use that leads to homelessness right I mean, I know some of it is economic, but it's also situations like this. And it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's not a good situation. Obviously, Simon, well done. (laughs) Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills all in one place. It probably helped lower the bills by getting rid of those damn subscriptions. Like, so many. I've done this in the past, like, way before I had this service. Way before I probably... I did this back in the day and it was such a pain in the ass. I was just getting so upset with how much was coming out of my bank account. It was just like random things. I didn't even know what it was. It was so painful to get rid of them all. Look, 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. Like that streaming service you bought to just watch one show or that free trial that you never even used. Yeah, or well, the combination of the two is worse where it's like, yeah, sign up for seven days for free. And then you watch the show you want and then you forget about it. And then you're getting billed every month for the rest of eternity. <laughs> Not with Truebill. Not with Rocket Money, they help you out. They'll help you easily identify your subscriptions so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes cancelling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Not like that's the most, that's the average, that's insane. Stop throwing your money away today. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com casual that's rocketmoney.com casual rocketmoney.com casual and back to today's episode for over 15 years joe continued to live like this he floated around committing crimes acquired a few small felonies in the process and eventually landed in south baltimore city now in his late 30s joe met a woman like joe she was also homeless and addicted to various drugs but when joe found out that he had gotten her pregnant he attempted to clean up his life to provide for them to do this he got his cdl commercials driver's license and started to truck for a pallet company called joe stein and sons at this point joe seemed like he was really trying to turn his life around i'm not sure exactly where his family was living but at the very least he claims that it was a house and not some tent down by the river unfortunately neither he nor his girlfriend could completely kick their drug habits and on that fateful day in 1994 when joe's son was six years old she left him to score drugs with another man This destroyed Joe and marked the start of the complete collapse of his mental health. The Longer Night. To find his son, Joe spoke with friends, drug dealers. work acquaintances but nobody had heard from either of them since stalking his ex-girlfriend had become his obsession joe quit his job and dove headfirst back into the world of drugs so there would be nothing to hold him back after injecting or smoking his remaining money joe had no way to pay his bills and once again found himself homeless he moved back into one of the homeless camps that he'd been living in previously a spot known as tent city and began questioning people in the few hours of each day that he was able to stay conscious after months of searching, Joe learns that both his ex-girlfriend and her new man have been arrested for possession of drugs, and that his son had been taken by the state of Maryland and placed into foster care. With multiple felony convictions and his own drug habit once again weighing him down, Joe was convinced that no judge would ever release his son into his custody. Which um, I'm—it's a fairly acute observation there. If you're homeless, and the ju- uh, the kid's in foster care, um, foster care's not brilliant. It's not where you want kids to be. Um, but it's if I were the judge I'd make exactly that call now at this point any rational person might decide that the best thing to do is clean yourself up find steady employment and work your ass off to prove the judge that you are a reliable father however at this point in his life Joe was not a rational person in Joe's mind his son was lost to him forever and there was nothing he could do to change that so if he couldn't have his son he wanted the next best thing Joe decided he was going to murder his ex-girlfriends and the drug pushing piece of who cost him his family joe asked the man where his ex was staying and he was informed that the pair were headed to the hanover street bridge to buy more drugs and to get high infuriated and in seeing his chance to act joe grabbed an axe which was occasionally used to the camp for self-defense against rival homeless gangs he set off into the night after Smoking. Some more crack, that is. When Joe arrived at the Hanover Street Bridge, he found two men, Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. Both were passed out on an old rotting mattress, high beyond belief and unintelligible. Joe quickly woke them and began grilling them for answers. He learned that these two men had gotten high with his ex-girlfriend, but they told Joe that the couple uh, must have left after they had passed out. Furious, Joe raised the axe and brought the blunt end of it down onto the men's heads repeatedly. He left their bodies on the mattress where they had just been sleeping. That same night, underneath, that same bridge Joe lured interrogated and killed two separate sex workers who he falsely believed could lead him to his real targets however instead of leaving them out in the open like he did with Ransell and Randy he decided to toss their bodies into the nearby Patapsco River while disposing of them Joe claims that he was spotted by a dock worker working the a midnight shift he confronted the man and then beat him to death with a steel pipe the man's body was also thrown into the river after about seven straight hours of hunting interrogating and murdering his five victims joe metheny waded into the waters of the patapsco at dawn and washed their blood from his body and clothes he then washed and returned the axe to the homeless camp he found a nice pile of trash to use as a pillow and fell deeply into a drug-induced slumber so this dude went from regular drugs are a hell of a thing he went from pretty much just regular trucking dude having this mental break smokes some drugs and then murdered four people was it four or five in one night from nothing jesus don't do crack oh my lord murder after murder for the next few weeks, Joe continued to search for his ex-girlfriend all across South Baltimore. However, unfortunately for Joe, his drug-fueled night of revenge eventually landed him inside a holding cell after police discovered Randall and Randy's bodies atop the old mattress. How did they, how did they tie this together? Unfortunately for the victims, because it had taken the police over three weeks to discover their bodies. Oh my, three weeks. Much of the evidence that tied Joe to the murders had already been lost or contaminated. This included the murder weapon, as on August the second, nineteen ninety-five, another homeless man, Larry Amos, had used the self-defense axe to murder another homeless man, Everett Dow, underneath the same Hanover Street bridge. It wasn't until police began investigating this new murder that the bodies of Randall and Randy were even discovered. Larry Amos was then arrested and charged with first-degree murder, but that charge would later be reduced to manslaughter. He was given eight years in prison. Feels a bit light america and murder of which he only served one year and nine months he murdered somebody with it he's literally an axe murderer use that shockingly light sentence as a barometer for how much police and judges actually care about the lives of homeless people good lord although joe did spend the next year in jail waiting awaiting trial he was eventually acquitted and released back onto the streets it's also mad that a dude can spend a year in jail awaiting trial and then be acquitted that's insane You just get arrested for something. Let's, I mean, obviously not in this case, but let's say you're innocent. They arrest you. You wait a year in jail awaiting trial. How is that fair? What is going on? Joe was now a charge-free and drug-free man, but the latter would not last long. He had been forced to get clean while in jail due to the low supply on the inside, but as soon as the first opportunity presented itself, he was back on heroin. With his name cleared, Joe returned to his old job site at Stein & Science Pallet Company and convinced his bosses to rehire him. Because his boss had a habit of hiring mostly reformed felons, Joe Methany was brought back on board as a forklift-shaped driver and paid a measly $7 per hour. With nowhere else to stay and not wanting to return to the homeless camp, Joe requested to use the trailer, located at the rear of the pallet company's property, as a home. He offered to be the property's night watchman in return, and his bosses agreed. The trailer, which was small, dirty, and collapsing into itself, was located at the rear of the Steins and Sons property and surrounded by tall trees. A chain-link fence and stags of old, broken pallets separated the trailer from the nearby main road. It wasn't much, but Joe quickly made it his home. Yeah, it's not bad for, like, something totally free. (laughs) <laughs> well my expectations really low it's like all i gotta do is watch the property at night and you can live there for free that sounds like quite a good deal even though it's a dump if you were homeless previously that's a hell of an upgrade a lot had changed for joe metheny over the past year but one thing that remained the same was his hatred for his ex-girlfriend and his desire to see her dead but despite his best efforts joe was never able to find her again she had simply vanished and joe hoped that meant she was dead still his anger lived on and one night while cruising through south baltimore city joe spotted a woman that he vaguely recognized her name was kathy and she was dressed in a pair of cut-off jeans a white pullover sweater and white tennis shoes she carried a purse over her shoulder this was 45 year old katherine ann magaziner she was a sex worker who had spent years on the streets and was addicted to multiple hard drugs she wasn't joe's ex-girlfriend but she reminded joe of her he rolled down his window and called to her she looked at him and offered a smile that revealed multiple missing teeth She approached the car, and Joe asked her if she would like to join him in his trailer. He made promises of money and drugs, and she agreed. Inside his trailer, Joe and Kathy had sex, and then, while she lay half-clothed and high out of her mind on Joe's mattress, he lunged at her and strangled her with a nearby extension cord. She was too far gone to put up any significant fight, although even if she had been in her right mind, a frail 130-pound woman wouldn't have stood a chance against the massive Joe Metheny. What comes next? requires its own separate content warning for anyone eating. Oh God, or maybe just anyone doing anything. This is about to get grim, isn't it? Because it's an episode told about a dude who turned people into burgers. What kind of hamburgers? Che- on the floor of his trailer joe proceeded to desecrate her corpse by harvesting as much muscle tissue as he could from the meatiest parts of her body he stored this meat in tupperware containers inside his freezer and after disposing of the remainder of her body in a shallow grave in the forest behind his trailer he seasoned this meat cooked it covered it in sauce and ate it he is this dude has lost his mind drugs have made this dude lose his mind he was i don't believe he was born this way something snapped like that combination of his son his uh, girlfriend's state taking his son away and the drugs he something went wrong like his brain got broken and now he's insane he claims he doesn't know why he ate her he just did months later he would return to her grave and further desecrate her body by cutting it into seven pieces and reburying each piece separately a head was taken back inside the trailer thrown in a box and left to rot eventually he disposed of it off-site and it was never recovered In the weeks following her death joe found that he was unsatiated with simply eating her himself he gathered the supplies he would need to open a street side brah dude barbecue cart fashioned a handwritten makeshift sign and ground up small amounts of her frozen remains into fresh beef and pork he rolled this mixture into patties and loaded them into his food cart then as unsuspecting people went about their day he served them this rancid meat They ate it without ever knowing what they were consuming when asked about the food cart joe laughed and admitted i opened up a little open pit beef stand it had real i had real roast beef and pork sandwiches they were very good the human body taste was very similar to pork if you mix it together no one can tell oh that is just that is not right This did not stop with kathy joe continued to lure homeless sex workers into his home by providing them with drugs he killed them harvested meat from their bodies then dumped them all around baltimore he claims to have killed at least 10 women in this way but due to the way homeless people go unreported police were not even aware that they were missing on november 11 1996 joe lured kimberly spicer to his trailer and attempted to sexually assault her with a beer bottle she fought back and joe stabbed her 26 times in the face and neck he then dragged her body to the woods behind his trailer and tossed it in the bushes. On December the 8, 1996, Joe lured another woman, 37-year-old Rita Kemper, into his trailer just as he did with the other women. Rita knew Joe fairly well, as they had been using crack cocaine together for many years, but Rita was clear that she was not interested in Joe sexually. That night, while high, Joe ordered Rita to remove her clothes. Rita resisted, and Joe hit her twice. While hitting her, he laughed and said, ''I'm going to kill you and bury you in the woods.'' with the other girls during their scuffle Rita was able to slip out the door however Joe caught her and pulled her back inside as he was removing her clothes she managed to slip through an open window and make it to the chain link fence that separated the Steins and Sons property from the nearby Washington Avenue she then scaled the fence cutting herself badly on the razor wire and dropped down onto the ground on the other side Joe Metheny watched helplessly as the first victim he had ever let escape flagged down a passing truck and disappeared into the night this better be the end of it please tell me she goes to the police the police go to his trailer they look in the bushes and find all the, the the desecrated corpses and then he goes to prison forever and maybe gets a needle in his arm although he is insane oh he's insane isn't he i mean yes he's a murderer but he's obviously not in his right mind he's all he's not like he was a regular dude and something snapped in his brain and now his brain is broken oof a small complication after Rita Kemper's escape Joe braced for the worst he was sure that she would go to the police but for some reason possibly because she was a homeless sex worker Rita did not immediately report Joe's attempted sexual assault uh, I wouldn't be so worried about reporting the sexual assault which obviously do but also report the fact that he said I'm going to kill you and bury you in the woods with the other girls that is uh, that you know <laughs> there's also that Still, Joe had no way of knowing this, and he was paranoid that she would eventually bring the police to his doorstep, so he began trying to hide the evidence. Joe gathered Catherine's belongings, her clothes, and her purse, and buried them far away from his own trailer so that if discovered, they might not be linked to her body. A couple of days later, Joe and a fellow co-worker named Clint Ashbrook were sitting inside Joe's trailer drinking whiskey and snorting lines of cocaine off Joe's dirty, dilapidated furniture. As Joe became increasingly intoxicated, his secrets began to spill, and eventually he revealed to his friends that he needed help with something important he needed help moving a body Clint thought that Joe was trying to pull a prank on him and agreed to follow Joe outside where he said that the body was located as they approached the forested area behind his home Joe began heaving away a pile of trash leaves and debris until Clint could plainly see the body of Kimberly Spicer lying in the dirt by this point she was bloated and covered in maggots he told Clint that he wanted to throw the body into a nearby dumpster but he didn't give him an exact reason why at that point I'd be like, okay, Joe, it seems you got a body here. Let's definitely move this body together and everything is fine. And then at the first opportunity, I would escape because Joe's massive. And I would assume if I said, bro, what have you done? You've killed someone that Joe is going to kill me. Play along, escape, go to the police as soon as possible. Joe then grabbed a tarp and began rolling the body onto it and once again asked for Clint's help. Clint claims that in that moment he was terrified of the much larger man and didn't want to set him off. However, he still refused to help by claiming that he had something else to do and that he would help some other time. He's so, like, yeah, 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 no, Joe, I'll definitely come back. We'll definitely deal with uh, this body. I just have to return some videotapes and then I'll be back and we can do this. Clint then left Joe by himself and sped off on his mo- to- motorcycle, which some newspaper articles hilariously refer to as a bicycle but for some unknown reason he returned an hour later with a peace offering of more cocaine clint says that when he arrived back at joe's trailer joe was relieved to see that he hadn't gone to the police he also said that joe was sweaty and out of breath because he had moved the body himself the two and the men then proceeded to party late into the night drinking beer and doing cocaine until both men fell asleep on the floor of joe's collapsing trailer clint clint what are you up to you it's like <laughs> instead of going to the beach go to buy him coke clint what is wrong with you what's wrong with you you're just getting yourself this is like drugs are one thing but you're just becoming an accessory to a, a big big crime here clint the next morning joe acted as if nothing had happened the previous night and clint was left wondering if the man could even remember what he had asked him to do that morning when joe and clint's bosses joe stein senior and joe stein junior arrived for work clint sat them down and told them all about the previous night Joe Stein Sr ordered Clint not to tell anyone about what he had seen. Uh Joe Stein Sr what are you up to (laughs) now I'm not a business owner but I feel like maybe if I were a business owner and one of my employees had murdered someone and buried them on my property I would definitely call the police and tell them that one of my employees had buried a body on the property yes Matthew because you are a regular person with a functioning brain (laughs) why Joe Stein senior did not immediately go to the police was a mystery to me however I quickly discovered that Stein and son's palette company had a great many skeletons in their own closet oh my god are they doing crimes themselves they're like transporting drugs or people or something like pallet company what's on those pallets joe (laughs) joe's oh god it turns out joe stein senior who i'll be referring to stein senior for the sake of clarity and brevity was a man with an extensive criminal background multiple felonies and a history of drug dealing and gun trafficking oh my god these are big ass crimes. gun trafficking at the time of joe metheny's murder spree stein and son's pallet company was under investigation by the fbi as part of an organized crime sting stein's company had been engaging in corporate fraud and the trafficking of stolen goods (laughs) do you want to throw any more crimes in there (laughs) Good lord. I promise I'm not making this up. My jaw nearly hit the keyboard the moment I realized that I had accidentally stumbled into an organized crime story as well. Now you ready for the real kicker? Stein Jr. was working as an informant for the FBI against his own father. Wait, is Joe Metheny the story today or is it the Stein family? Oh my god. The story in the son in Stein and Sons had flipped for immunity from prosecution had been wearing a wire for months as the FBI slowly gathered evidence against his father. Stein Sr. did not want Clint to go to the police because he knew that they would find much more than a body if they investigated the Pallet Company's property. Unfortunately, on the morning that Clint revealed his discovery to Stein Sr. and Stein Jr., Stein Jr. was not wearing his wire and did not capture the confession. However, Stein Jr. did put Clint in contact with his FBI handler so that Clint would not get in trouble for failing to report metheny's crimes to the police later that day while joe metheny was away from his trailer stein jr went went to the back of the property and began looking around amid the stack of broken pallets and heaping piles of trash stein found a small opening that led underneath joe's trailer when he crawled inside on his hands and knees he came face to face with the rotting corpse of kimberly spicer now you might be asking yourself what are the odds that joe metheny just happened to find himself employed and living on the property of someone under investigation for organized crime i mean it's not out of this world impossible is it well if stein jr and clint ashbrook are be to be believed and i don't have any reason to doubt their testimony joe metheny was complicit in stein senior's crimes and was acting as the stein family's enforcer joe metheny was the muscle the fixer the person that stein senior sent to do the family's dirty work that kind of makes sense seeing as he doesn't seem like it'd be a very successful truck driver given the uh, in- insane amount of drugs that he seems to be taking. Joe Metheny wasn't just a man on drugs who killed sex workers who resembled his ex-girlfriends, he was the Luca Brasi to Joseph Stein's Corleone family. That's a Godfather reference, Simon. Yeah, I haven't seen the Godfather. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? Uh, oh, anyway, let's move on. Taking a breather Now, ladies and gentlemen, there are two reasons why I did not mention Joe Metheny's ties to organized crime up to this point. First, no one, including Joe himself, has ever officially tied Joe Metheny to the crimes of Stein and Sons. No charges were ever filed against him, and despite having ample opportunity and displaying an eagerness to confess, Joe never talked about or admitted to anything that Stein Jr. or Clint Ashbrook alleged. That means that even if we had wanted to tell you about Joe Metheny's specific crimes, I wouldn't have been able to give you any details beyond what he may have been involved with by association without fully jumping into speculation all i can say for certain is that joe metheny was tasked with guarding the stein and son's property by acting as its night watchman that is all that he has ever confessed to second i wanted you the audience and Simon, to feel just a tiny fraction of the shock that the fbi agents Mr. have felt when they learned that they had inadvertently stumbled into a full-on serial killer while investigating something completely unrelated i have to say that yes it was it's a it's a shocking reveal sure but also criminals are going to work like criminals attract criminals the fact that they hired this guy to be their enforcer he's an enforcer he literally does violence to enforce stuff for crimes and it, he turns out to be a murderer it's like yeah okay <laughs> what are, it, that doesn't seem super surprising to me sure it's a little bit of a coincidence okay it's a bigger big it's a medium-sized coincidence Am I being unreasonable with that? Is that way less common than I think it is that just criminals get up to criminally stuff together? I mean, can you imagine how Stein Jr.'s FBI handler must have felt when a random man approached him and said, Hey, Mr. FBI man, your mole just outed himself to me, and I've got a hell of a secret to tell you. (laughs) So with that out of the way how does this affect the information that you have so far well as i said when talking about joe and his mother's separate recollections of joe's childhood two things can be true at once and i believe that this is another example of that joe metheny was a man who was driven to madness by losing his son but he also worked for a shady boss and may have participated in far more crimes than we may ever know really at this point the only thing that needs to be amended about joe metheny's life story is the fact that his boss was involved in organized crime but based on the reaction of stein senior and Stein Jr. when Clint revealed the body to them, it's unlikely that anyone else at Stein and Sons were remotely aware of what Joe was doing during his off hours. So, from this point on, I will only be giving you the facts as we talk about how the FBI sorted through this absolute mess. The Arrest of Joe Metheny this new revelation by Clint Ashbrook lit a fire at the FBI. Up till this point, they had been taking their time to ensure that they had enough evidence to convict everyone involved. However, because of this new complication, they were forced to accelerate their investigation. This was due to the very real fear that Joe Metheny uh, would kill again. They also didn't want to give Stein Sr. the opportunity to destroy any vital evidence before they could move in and make the arrests. On December fifteenth, 1996, at 1.40 a.m., Joe Metheny and Stein Sr. were arrested while exiting the company's Christmas party. Joe did not resist. He did not put up a fight. He seemed like he had already come to terms with his arrest before they even slapped the cuffs on him. With their two main targets now in custody, the FBI proceeded to round up the grunts. One employee was arrested and later convicted for arson for burning down two trucks that belonged to a rival company He was given ten years in prison. Two others were convicted of theft of merchandise, and, and Clint Ashbrook was also convicted of arson for a separate offense. Stein Sr. was charged and later pled guilty to one count of possession of stolen firearms and one count of destruction of property by fire. He also uh, pled guilty to one count of aiding and abetting for his attempt to cover up Joe Metheny's crimes. He sentenced to 10 years in prison stein jr and the other members of the stein family who had cooperated with the fbi or relocated for their own protection on the night of their arrests many employees found themselves in hot water but joe metheny's water was boiling he was separated from the rest of the group and transported to the homicide unit of the baltimore city police department <laughs> he's like oh yeah okay we're just getting arrested for being i'm getting arrested for being an enforcer and all that stuff i hope they don't discover the bodies in there and then you get transferred to the murder department so you are like, oh no <laughs> where are the other guys why are they not here as well do you guys is is it about the (laughs) busted when joe was interrogated about the women who had been found underneath his trailer investigators were shocked by what came next joe metheny confessed they assumed that he would lawyer up shut his mouth and say nothing like he did when he was arrested for the murders of randall brewer and randy piker but joe seemed to already know that he was sunk he didn't hold back he answered every single question asked of him by both the fbi and the local police Joe confessed to the murders of Catherine Magaziner and Kimberly Spicer, as well as the slaying of Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. He confessed to the kidnapping and attempted rape of Rita Kemper, and then went on to confess to another eight murders. During questioning, investigators asked Joe why he had killed Kimberly Spicer, and he responded, sense of power? I don't know. Vulnerable. I dreaded. I got a rush out of it. I got a high out of it. Call it what you want. I had no real excuse why, other than I liked to do it. I don't know how to describe it. At first, they weren't sure whether or not to believe him, so they asked Joe to take them to the bodies. At this point during my research, I stumbled across a rather familiar name. During one of my recent videos for Into the Shadows, that's another YouTube channel that I host by the way, check it out, I talked about body farms. Now, scientists use donated corpses to study human decomposition and perfect body recovery techniques. The pioneer of this field, Dr. William Bass and his students place corpses into an open field in Knoxville, Tennessee, to study how the elements affect decomposition speed. One of Dr. Bass's students that I mentioned by name was William Rodriguez. In the 1980s, Rodriguez was just another student. However, now, in this story, he's William C. Rodriguez, the third PhD. He's also the leader of the forensics team charged with excavating the areas that Joe Metheny pointed out to his investigators. There's a fun little coincidence there that has just come up in one of my other videos after joe described where exactly he left the body of catherine Magazina, dogs were brought in to aid in the search however nothing was immediately recovered frustrated investigators transported joe to the location that he had specified but joe quickly amended his statement catherine was the woman who joe had dug up and reburied multiple times now standing at one of her many temporary resting places joe remembered the correct spot joe then gave them a new location and rodriguez and his team were able to find and unearth catherine's skeletal remains just as joe had confessed he had dismembered and buried her in multiple locations throughout the woods rodriguez was able to find all of her remains save for the cranium which would never be recovered using the teeth of the body's lower mandible he was able to confirm that the body did indeed belong to catherine joe was transported to and from jail to various locations where he thought police might find more victims but unfortunately no more were ever recovered or identified Dive teams were brought in to help locate the bodies that had been dumped into the Tasco River, but this, too, yielded no results. Joe had said he used rocks to weigh down the bodies, but the police believed that they were not heavy enough and uh, had likely been carried out to sea. Trial and Death With a confession in hand joe metheny was charged with the kidnapping sexual assault and attempted murder of rita camper at some point between pointing the police to the burial sites of his victims and going to trial joe changed his mind about confessing because initially he entered a plea of not guilty joe's lawyer petitioned the court to have his initial confession and cooperation thrown out but the judge denied the request and essentially told him too little too late can't you retract a confession though isn't that something you could do it's like no that was a lie but then it would still be a part of the court, and the court, the jury would be like, bro, why'd you say it then? Why'd you just spin that story? And then you've got to fight that. But if it's just never in there in the first place, then they never get to hear it, which is obviously different when they're making their jury decisions. In the end, Joe was convicted of kidnapping and sexual assault charges. However, the jury acquitted him of attempted murder because there wasn't enough evidence to prove motive. Wow. There were all the bodies. Apparently shouting, "I'm going to kill you and bury you in the woods with the other girls" is not enough for the charges he was convicted of. The judge sentenced him to 50 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Next, in August of 1998, Joe was put on trial for the murder and robbery of Kimberly Spicer, the woman he had dismembered, buried, dug up, decapitated, reburied, and eaten. Oh, okay. So I'm sorry. That was just one of the things. So this is uh, there's there's other bodies and other murder trials. In another episode of the Casual Criminals titled "The Bizarre Case of Paul Powell," Danny talks extensively the right talks extensively about the death penalty in Virginia and how certain circumstances can elevate the crime of murder to aggravated murder. To keep from rehashing that discussion and boring long-time viewers, I will keep things simple by saying that if someone commits murder while engaging in another crime such as sexual assault, robbery, or any other atrocious felony, their charge can be raised from first-degree murder to aggravated murder in the first degree. uh matthew's about to say that that can have the death penalty attached to it this means that per the laws of maryland in 1998 joe had joe simply murdered spicer and left her body to be found by the police he would only have been eligible for life in prison but because he had robbed her stripped her naked in the process and stolen her purse his crimes were elevated and he became eligible for the death penalty at his trial joe begged for death while testifying he turned to the jury looking each of them in the eye as he spoke and said the words i'm sorry will never come out For they would be a lie i am more than willing to give up my life for what i have done to have god judge me and send me to hell for eternity on november the 13th 1998 joe's request was granted and he was sentenced to death for the murder of kimberly spicer unfortunately for joe and fans of the death penalty i i just feel he was he was not in his right mind i mean i feel like more needed to be established about whether he was an enforcer and stuff and whether he had this other violent history or was it just that his brain snapped from too much drugs and his son being taken away and he just lost his mind did they not even try that as a defense Unfortunately for Joe and fans of the death penalty, the sentence was later overturned in the early 2000s and reduced to life in prison without possibility of parole. This happened after it was decided that the act of burying Spice's clothing was an attempt to hide her identity, not that the murder was the result of a robbery. As far as the law is concerned, these are two distinctly different acts. God, that's such a weird law, isn't it? Joe was then convicted of murdering Catherine Magaziner, and all other charges against him were dropped once this sentence was handed down, as there was simply not enough evidence to convict him of any other crimes one case in particular involved a woman named tony lynn ingrazier and although police were almost certain that joe was involved in her death they couldn't prove it tony's father uh, was told that he would have to be satisfied with and share in the justice that was reached during the other girls trials after his death sentence was overturned joe transferred to the western correctional institution in cumberland maryland where he lived until his death on august 5th 2017 at the age of 62. and that's where we end today's episode that was a grim one I have to say I thought there would be more bodies cutting up and turned into burgers and I was relieved it was just a very short section because oh my um, thank you for watching if you enjoy this show please do leave it a review uh, if you're listening as a podcast if you're on YouTube like subscribe and I'll see you next time Seeking the truth never gets old